Welcome to the God is Love and So Are You podcast. I'm your host, Divinefulness Mary. Divinefulness is your sacred self empowered by your higher power's love. I'm an author, life coach, and survivor of childhood sexual abuse who has conquered post-traumatic stress. On Easter, God's love overwhelmed me and compelled me to create this podcast, a multi-faith mission to remind you how much God loves you and invite you to deepen your relationship with him. Our guest today is Christine Kish. She's an entrepreneur with three businesses and a trauma survivor many times over. This includes a debilitating injury at a young age that transformed her life forever. First, we'll find out a little bit about her. Then we'll listen to her powerful Bible verse that she'll be reading that has helped her throughout her life. And after that, we'll hear her transformation story. Christine, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Christine, tell us a bit about your background, where were you born, raised, and live now, as well as your spiritual background. I was born in Chicago and raised in northern Indiana, right on the Indiana-Illinois border in mm-hmm. a little town called Dyer, Indiana. Oh. Uh, my dad's a first-generation American, and my I'm half Hungarian and half Swedish, but I was raised around a lot of Italian influences and mm-hmm. a rich, diverse uh, cultural community in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I truly enjoyed it. Um, my parents were both people of faith. Uh, my dad was um, raised as a Catholic and my mom was Presbyterian, mm-hmm. and they decided they wanted to have a unified faith in their home to raise their family, and they decided that the Presbyterian church was what they would raise their family in. And so I was raised around um, uh, a lot of godly influences in your life of how God, whatever faith or religion you were in, because we had Jewish friends and, you know, other people that whatever your faith is and however you practiced it, as long as you had some, something that was helping you make good choices and be the best person you could be, um, was what was, you know, faithfully encouraged. And so uh, my parents uh, saw me through some very difficult times uh, in my youth, and they were both trauma survivors. And in a day when you did not have um, a lot of mental health uh, support and um, resources, somehow they used God to heal themselves. So they did not pass their trauma on to their, my siblings and myself. And it made me comfortable enough to where when I went to Purdue University, I met my husband who was um, from Hammond, Indiana, and in that uh, general area. Right. Uh, we met, fell in love, got married, and we moved to Santa Rosa, California, which is in the heart of the wine country, about an hour north of the San Francisco um, Golden Gate Bridge. And we have two children that are adult daughters now and throughout our entire life where my faith has really um, uh, permeated everything uh, where I was able to pass on to my daughters is Mm -hmm. all of the various uh, life obstacles and hurdles and trauma and everything that, you know, you experience in your life, uh, regardless of what level it's at my family always turned to God to help get us through it. And that belief that, you know, if God leaves you, leads you to it, he'll lead you through it type of right, mentality. Right. And um, it 
uh, has gotten to the point with everything that's going on, like with the pandemic and the world, mm -hmm. you know, today, and, you know, the political nightmare, depending upon what side of the fence you're on and, yeah. and all of that, that my sister who still lives in Illinois and my brother who's in Minneapolis, we often talk of how much more difficult going through these times today would be if we did not all have a profound shared faith in God, that it definitely, um, God's gotten me through so many things that I, one of the things that's probably the most remarkable thing that's come from my spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And the number of times I thought, this is it, I'm ready to die. I cannot survive this. I have no idea how I'm going to survive the next 15 minutes of my life, let alone a longer life, that every single trauma I've ever endured in my life, God has turned that into the, uh, the basis of some of my biggest blessings. So I have trained my mind that when I am in the middle of horrible things, or I'm having a bad day, or, or something, uh, you know, falls on top of me, and I'm just mm -hmm. overwhelmed, right. I, at, in that moment, instead of asking for God's help or struggling or trying to sort out the problem, mm -hmm. I stop and I pray God and thank him for this bountiful blessing that he's in the process of creating for me. And mm -hmm. I have no idea how you're going to turn this into something good, God, but your track record is 100% foolproof. And somehow, somewhere, sometime, some way, you're going to turn this into something marvelous. And I'm just here to say, I believe in you and I'm anxious to watch what you do and how you make something beautiful out of this mess. And it really does ease my stress and anxiety so I can then think and work through the problem. You have a powerful faith. That's amazing. That's great. Um, so I was going to ask you next if we could hear the scripture that you chose to read for us today, and then you could just, you know, continue on and, and expand on your, uh, on, on your story. Sure. Um, mine is from Isaiah 66, 9. I will not cause pain without allowing something new to be born, says the Lord. And that has been so influential in my life. Mm -hmm. And the first time I read, I ran across that scripture um, was, uh, I was 13 years old. And before I um, uh, go on with that part of the story, just to give you a little bit of a background of what led me to this is, um, you know, in my youth, I was, you know, playing, you know, with the, the water hose outside in the garden, you know, playing down by the creek, doing whatever, um, you know, a little girl in the Midwest aspired to do, you know, picking right. daffodils or daisies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was the good girl, you know, that I um, listened to what elders told me to do. Right. I paid attention in school. I tried to um, do what people in positions of power um, told me to do. You know, I was not the troublemaker at school. I, I listened right. to what people told me. And I learned a valuable lesson when I was in sixth grade. Uh, the Olympics were happening that year. And um, I was fascinated by the gymnastics and, you know, the, um, the uneven parallel bars, the, um, the floor mats, the um, uh, balance beam, you know, all of those things. Right. And 
my first um, uh, couple of weeks going into a new school and having a, a gym class where you have gym uniforms and I was just enjoying <laughs> junior high as you know, I'm no longer an elementary school kid. Mm-hmm. And we had a session um, of a couple of weeks in our um, PE class that we were going to be studying gymnastics. Okay. And I just naturally gravitated towards that. You know, I was, um, you know, doing my little somersaults on the mat. I was uh, doing different things and I loved the uneven parallel bars. And even my teacher and some of the classmates were surprised at how um, well I, I picked it up and did things. And part of it was because I, you know, had done cartwheels and, you know, everything else, you know, uh, growing up and was pretty active outdoorsy kid. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we were doing a particular routine and from the very top bar of the uneven parallel bars, I fell flat on my back. Oh my and God. when I fell flat on my back, I knew I hurt myself. I had fallen enough being a kid tumbling around doing things where I knew the difference between, I didn't just fall and let me get up and, and do do it all over again. Right, I right. hurt myself and I slowly got up from the mat and mm-hmm. the teacher wanted me to try the move again. Right. And I explained to her, I hurt myself. I can't do that. Good. And yeah. I wanted to go to the nurse mm-hmm. because I, I knew I was injured Good. and she told me, Oh no, you know, that you fell on the mat. You're not hurt that bad. Um, but if you can't do this, then go over to the, um, the mini trampoline and you go over there. So I went over there and I was still in pain, but again, these teachers in charge were telling me I'm okay and get in line, do this right. Halfway between a reverse back somersault, Mm -hmm. I blacked out and damaged everything I did not damage in the first fall. Oh my God. And I woke up from, it was the first time in my life I had ever blacked out. And when I came to, I was seeing stars and an intense, intense pain. Mm. And even with that, they didn't think I needed to go to the nurse that you're not really hurt because, you know, you're, you fell on a mat and I thought, okay, right. So I went in and I was so in so much pain I had trouble taking off my gym uniform and putting on my clothes Mm -hmm. and I managed to, you know, get through and I went to class and, you know, my teacher, you know, asked what happened. And I said, you know, I fell in gym class and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd like to go to the nurse. And she's like, Mm -hmm. Oh no, if they, if they didn't send you to the nurse, I'm not going to send you to the nurse, you know, just sit down. Right. So I went through my entire class that day. Oh my God. And when it came home to, or it came to the point where I go to my locker and it's the first time I have, you know, a locker cause you're in sixth grade and you got the combination. Oh, and everything. Right. Right. Yeah. I was so sore. I could barely open up my locker oh my to God. put my books away. And I had a lot of homework and I could not reach into the locker and pull out my math book or my science book and carry it home because I was walking home that day. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get in trouble because I'm not going to do my homework, but I can't carry my books. Unbelievable. So I 
it was in the with the winter time and it um was so cold but my email no one's so no one's bothered even to, to follow up and, and check up on you no no one is telling me anything i haven't even seen the school nurse or had pain reliever all day long and i could not put my arms in my coat because i was that sore so then um i just put the my coat on my shoulders and i can't mm -hmm. even bear the weight of the jacket on my shoulders but i start the walk home and thankfully it was freezing cold and snowing and by the time i got halfway home the the i was a little bit cold and numb and so i had felt actually the best i felt all day long being out in the freezing cold with this injury so i finally get home yeah and we had one of those houses where when I walked by the, um, the little walkway that went right in front of our house up to the porch to the front door, mm -hmm. you could see in the living room and I see my mom's in the kitchen and my dad's sitting on the couch with a cup of coffee and the dog comes. And I struggled a bit to open the screen door and the door. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing it and finally, you know, it took me a little bit of effort to get in the door. And yeah. so I opened up the door and the dog greets me. And of course, immediately knows something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And my parents see me and they look at me and they say, what's wrong? And again, being the very obedient child, I gave them the full line of BS that I had been given all day. Right. Oh, I fell in gym class, but I didn't hurt myself. I'll be better tomorrow after mm -hmm. I sleep. I'm going to be better. They told me. And my parents were not having it. They wrapped me up in a blanket because I could not put on my jacket, put me in the car and took me to our family doctor mm -hmm. and our family doctor. Um, again, this is in the sixties, seventies, you know, ish actually 73 is when I injured myself. Okay. And we had a very wonderful, compassionate, um, uh, black doctor from Jamaica who, again, I didn't realize the whole racist thing that, you know, permeates the world today because he was just a good man and a good doctor. And I did not understand the struggle it took for him to get a doctor, to, you know, a medical degree in that era. Right. But he, he was a wonderful doctor. Well, he happened to do a lot of humanitarian missions and he had just gotten on a plane to go to Jamaica to provide free health care to the Jamaicans. And so his, uh, you know, another doctor was filling in for him that day. Okay. And they looked at me and everything and I didn't break anything, but I basically yeah. had damaged every um, muscle tendon and vertebrae from the base of my skull to the base of my spine. Oh my and the doctor who was treating me at the time mm -hmm. had never okay. seen such a severe injury where there was nothing broken. He didn't know how to, he didn't know what to do. So mm. when the plane landed in Jamaica, a few hours later, he mm -hmm. contacted my doctor and told him, you know, Christine was here and I have no idea what's wrong. She's in a lot of pain and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. um, our family doctor got on the next plane back and came back to treat me. Wow. And what a good man. I, it was wonderful. And so I started on, you know, at first they try, here's some pain reliever. 
you know, here's some, you know, cold packs, some hot heat packs, right. you know, some physical therapy, you know, I tried all these different things and nothing worked. And to make matters worse, when I was at school, my teachers were upset because my doctor gave me a note where I didn't have to participate in gym class. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm injured. my teacher tried everything to get me to still do something in gym class because she thought I was faking it because I didn't want to be in gym class. And it was just really vile treatment I got from my teachers and the staff because it's like, oh, we see kids like you all the time. You know, you're, you're afraid of the ball and dodgeball or whatever. And, and one of the games we played at some point was dodgeball. And it's like, oh no, move. And you're an easy target for people to throw balls at you. And it just hurt so much. And what I did not understand until I had that degree of injury is when you have injured your neck, back, shoulders, Mm. that completely, there is no position you're comfortable in laying down, sitting up, standing. It hurts to breathe because your ribs move. I never knew until I had this injury how painful breathing was. So I would try to hold my breath so I wouldn't have the pain of breathing. And finally, after a year and a half of physical therapy, and I didn't like the way the um, the pain relievers and the prescription drugs made me feel that it didn't take away my pain. It just disoriented my mind. And I I did not like the way I felt. And I was, you know, in pain every single waking moment. Good God. And my wise doctor that I love and adore, um, he was so wise and gentle because when I went to another check with him and, you know, we did some more scans and no, you know, you've got your vertebrae are, you know, crushed, but we can't really do surgery, you know, and all of the possible treatment at the time in the seventies, they had no idea what to do. And I still have etched in my mind sitting there in the doctor's office and my dad is sitting behind me and Mm -hmm. I'm talking to the doctor And he has a piece of paper in his hand with a prescription. And he told me that um, he has tried every possible thing to help heal me. Mm. And that um, there is nothing left that medical science can do for me. And he prepared me for the early um, onset arthritis I would have, the other debilitating things. And so much so that he did not think I would ever be able to successfully carry a child to term because Mm -hmm. of the degree of injury that I had. And he said, you will probably be in pain every day for the rest of your life. And he said, the only thing that I can offer you is this prescription of a stronger pain med that you don't like the ones you're on, but here's a stronger one. And he said, the most likely prognosis if you follow a medical course of treatment mm-hmm. is we will give you increasingly intense and addictive pain meds until the point 
you are so addicted on pain meds, you can't function, you're in a wheelchair and uh, suicide is a high probability. And he told me this in such a calm, loving Christian manner of, I knew that it was hurting him to tell me this. And as tears are running down my face and I'm thinking, Mm. I'm 13, this is not what I wanted in my life, you know? Um, I uh, said, I was just so overwhelmed and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said that I can either take this prescription Mm -hmm. or I can go off of all pain meds, including over-the-counter aspirin, Mm -hmm. you know, any kind of pain reliever. Right. And he said, it's quite possible that you are young enough that you will find some other way to cope with your pain that does not involve drugs or surgery. And he says, I don't know what those ways are, Mm -hmm. but maybe you will find them. That's great. It gave you some kind of hope, some kind of direction, even though, you know, it wasn't anything tangible. Indeed. And, you know, it was funny because when I looked back at my dad to see what should I do, Mm -hmm. my dad said, it's your decision. If you want to take the the pills, take the pills, Mm -hmm. you know, that we will support you in whatever you decide you want to do. And I said that I did not want the prescription and that I would try something else. And I tried all sorts of things. Cause you know, this was in the era where yoga was not a big thing. Meditation wasn't a big thing. You know, uh, you know, John Lennon had gotten a little into transcendental meditation and there was, you know, some things, but it was still, you know, for a, a 13 year old girl in the Midwest, there was not a lot of options. You know, you like, didn't like have the 70s, and, was it? Yeah, it was in 1973. Okay. And so um, I just on my own, Mm-hmm. started to pay attention to my body and, and listen. And I learned how I could breathe mm-hmm. because I discovered holding my breath made me experience more pain, breathing mm-hmm. it in and letting it out helped ease it slightly. Mm-hmm. And I learned some, uh, although I didn't know they were yoga poses at the time, I learned different things. Mm-hmm. I, I learned how to slowly strengthen my body in little increments, you know, where I can, I could not even hold a cup of coffee without being an extended pain. So I started with, I'll hold an empty cup mm-hmm. and then, oh, I'll pour like two little sips in, etc. And so I was in moderate to extreme pain every single day until I was 21 and got married in 1983 and moved to California. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why God is uh, important in my relationship with my husband that I've been with him for you know 40 years yeah. is wow. um, a lot of the other guys that I knew and, you know, you're in high school and college and, you know, mm-hmm. going through all of that. Um, a lot of them, you know, weren't that interested in me because I was broken. You know, I, I was in pain. Oh my God. And one of the things I learned, um, through my journey was I made the personal decision Mm -hmm. in talking to God and, and remembering my, 
um, my quote that I stumbled upon when one day I opened up the Bible and this mm -hmm. is the page that jumped out at me and it said, um, I will not cause pain without allowing something new to be born, says the Lord. And I clung to that thinking, okay, I'm in a lot of pain. There's got to be something really good that's, you know, you're, you know, maybe I'm going to find the, the cure to, to this or be able to help people with it. Wow. And I made the conscious decision that the people that I met in my life going forward, you know, at school or wherever, Mm -hmm. that they did not cause my pain. They did not create it. They could not take it away that they did not deserve to be abused because I was in pain. So I learned mm -hmm. how to hide my pain. Mm -hmm. And there were people who knew I was in pain, but sometimes even the people closest to me forgot that I was in pain because I got tired mm -hmm. of acknowledging it or, or complaining about it or, you know, I would try to sit in a chair like a normal person, you know, and um, when I met my husband mm -hmm. and we started dating and, and going forward and everything, right. um, he still accepted me and wanted to get married, even though he did not know if I was going to be an invalid in the next five years, oh. if I was going to be able to have children. He did not know what life with me looked like. And one of the things that didn't even factor into this equation is when I was um, first born, I had a massive tumor that uh, was the entire inside of my mouth. And I had surgery before I was 24 hours old and they thought I had cancer and mm -hmm. I didn't have cancer, mm -hmm. but I have always lived with uh, a couple of odds and ends of things that you know, maybe I'm even going to get cancer down the road because I have lots of breast cancer and colon cancer and, you know, a huge history of cancer in my family. Right. And so uh, my husband had um, a dear aunt who was a cancer survivor of, um, and when she was a teenager, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer that even with treatment, nobody had ever survived six months. And she was one of the first people that the rest of her life, medical science followed her to find out why she hadn't died of cancer Amazing. and she had her legs amputated. And so my husband, he was not fearful mm -hmm. of loving somebody who was in a wheelchair or had a breast cancer or whatever. He just loved me. And one day when um, I was in college, um, uh, one of the guys that I knew who was flirting with me and I wasn't really interested in him. Um, he noticed one day I was not feeling pretty well. And, you know, my shoulder was kind of tight and I said, Oh yeah, you know, my shoulder hurts. And right. just being a smart aleck, he hit me on the back of my oh. shoulder blades, knocked me out of my chair onto the oh floor and I couldn't breathe for like hours. So when my husband, who was at work, he picked mm -hmm. me up because this was a night class. Okay. He picked me up afterwards. And when he found out what had happened, he wanted, I'd never seen him so angry. He wanted to go rip this guy apart. And I'm like, no, just get me home. Mm. You know, I, I just can't sit up anymore. You know, take care mm. of me, get me home. And mm. um, when we moved to California, Mm -hmm. About six months in, because of the beautiful climate we have that's stable here, that, you know, uh, 
you know, within a few degrees, our climate is pretty consistent from month to month. Right. And that helped my body. One day I woke up after about six months and it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm not in as quite as much pain as I, I thought I would be in. And I started to, you know, do some other things. And I I learned how to play tennis again, because I loved playing tennis before my injury. Mm -hmm. And I started doing things. And um, you fast forward that we were uh, living in California for 10 years before we had our first child. Mm -hmm. And when we had our first child, um, uh, you know, we went through the Lamaze classes and all the things that, you know, new parents do. And we read the what to expect when you're expecting book and the whole bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was um, in for delivery, um, I, there was some craziness going on at the hospital. And at some point in time, and they're checking me and everything, I told the nurse, I think I'm having the baby now. And she, I'm hooked up to the monitors and everything. And she, right. she's like, no, you know, you new mothers are all like this. You know, you're not going to have it. <laughs> and because of my pain level, right. she actually, I didn't know this, but she told my husband, you know, the way she's going, she's not in enough pain yet. She's probably going to have a long delivery and need a C-section, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And my doctor, who I'm blessed to have another good doctor out here, he came in to check on me. And I said, I think I'm having the baby. And the mm-hmm. nurse is like, no, she's not having it. And I said, well, you know, I know I've never done this before, but there's only so much room from here to here. And it feels like it's moving. So, you know, the doctor checked, sure enough, I'm having the baby and oh, I have the baby. Wow. I never got even out of the first stage of Lama's breathing. And this was childbirth with no pain reliever or anything. Oh. It was nothing compared to the pain I had learned to endure for the past, you know, 10 years before that. Right. So um, I then, you know, you think, okay, you're conditioned in the world that the hard part's over. You gave birth, Right. So when I got home and all of my organs were starting to go back, I freaked out and called my doctor because I was having intense pain, more severe than childbirth of my organs going back. And um, ultimately, as my family doctor here started to treat me and learn about some of my other weird you know, things, mm-hmm. he actually told my husband that I have conditioned myself, I have such a good um, heightened pain tolerance level that I can block Hmm. out pain like an Olympic athlete does. And he said, if your wife ever complains and says, I have a pain here on my side, Uh don't blow her off because she's at high risk to have severe um, you know, stomach cancer and not recognize it when it's in the early stages because she blocks the pain so much. So if she has pain, mm-hmm. it's not just she stubbed her toe. Right, you know? right. And I have learned to, um, uh, it's funny because one of the skills that I, I learned in pain management was I learned how to mentally through, um, meditation, you know, prayer, mm-hmm. peacefulness, you know, using my, uh, my scented teas or, you know, before the days of essential oils, you know, I used a lot of flavored teas and things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that I learned how to, if my shoulder's hurting, to kind of psychically with my own healing energy, uh, give my shoulder break and move the pain over here to my chest. So my, I would like confuse my body of, well, just give the, give your shoulder a rest and, and now your knee hurts. And one day I learned, you know, I got so good at moving the pain around my body to parts that didn't hurt, but I, my, my brain would, oh, pretend your foot hurts for a while because I need a little break on my shoulder. Did you learn how to do that by yourself or did someone teach you that? I learned how to do it completely by myself. Wow. And what I then learned is if I can easily move the pain from my left knee to my right knee to my, mm-hmm. my foot, what if I just moved it five feet out of my body? Exactly. And that is what the technique I learned in just by survival mechanism of learning mm-hmm. how to mentally wrap my mental energy around the pain and move it out so I can have a few minutes apiece. At some point in time, I got to take it back in. But that helped me so much. And then as I got older and I've studied um, uh, various things, I now um, am amazed when I learn, like I've taken a yoga class or I've done something and it's like, oh, there's a name for that pose that I've been doing for a while. You know, I didn't know that that had a name or the psychic energy healing. I didn't know it had a name and that people study this. You know, I just did it out of, sheer survival and it um part of where so those kinds of things you just did you research those or no it was all completely self-taught wow and it was through prayer and meditation and trying to listen when i'm doing this stretch and trying Mm -hmm. to talk nicely to my body of of it's okay. You know that, and I actually had this little war because my left shoulder, um, healed a little bit better than my right shoulder. Mm-hmm. And so I would tell my right shoulder when I'd be, you know, doing comparisons of lifting my arms and, and doing right. things of, it's okay. You can't do what, you know, your, your brother's shoulder, your other shoulder <laughs> can do. It's, it's not a competition that, right. that you're able to lift it a little bit higher than you did yesterday. You don't have to, perform at the same level as the other shoulder. And I did a lot of that, that, um, self-talk to get through things and it changed the course of my life because the other thing that you learn by having such debilitating injury, Mm -hmm. when you fast forward and I ran across, um, people as an adult who, you know, had a car accident and they're, they're kind of faking that they have whiplash or they, they say they have a pain, but you know, you can identify people who are really in pain from people who are just saying they're in pain because they don't want to lift that box. Mm -hmm. And what it ultimately does is what I learned from that injury, besides um, I learned great things about myself that I can treat people kindly, even when I'm in unbearable pain, I can still find some way to live my best life with the limitations that I have. I learned that I can push my limitations a little bit further each day and be happy that I can reach a quarter of an inch more to move towards my toes than I could a day before and take that as a win, even though I haven't been able to, you know, bend down and, you mm-hmm. know, do whatever it is that I wanted to do. And by learning those things and the 
um, amount of self-compassion I had to come to myself, Mm -hmm. the amount of self-growth I needed to do to still find some way to live a emotionally fulfilling, magnificent life that still cherishes the gifts that God gave me today, transformed every aspect of my life. And in hindsight, Mm -hmm. that debilitating injury in my youth Mm -hmm. helped me deal with other crises in my life that I would never have been able to cope with otherwise. You know, in the 40 years my Mm -hmm. husband and I have been married, we have dealt with the types of things that blow families apart. We have had, um, when my youngest daughter was a year old, I was asked which way I want to watch her die. Do I want to see her survive? Do I want to authorize surgery? She'll never survive or deny her surgery. She needs to live. I have um, gone through a period of time where um, I have medical tests looked like I had serious medical issues and my doctor's and the specialists I work with don't know why I don't have the things that the tests show I should have that they, I'm, I'm, you know, they use the word miracle cure. Sometimes I had a, um, a growth that needed to be removed that all the preliminary stuff looked like cancer. And it, you know, was all these horrible things. Mm -hmm. The day I went in for surgery, the doctor's like, gee, if it had looked like that two days ago, I wouldn't have been so upset. And so then they were worried because hmm. it changed so rapidly because that's another bad sign with, yeah. you know, molds and things that change rapidly. And it turned out it was nothing. I, you know, got it cut out and I was fine. And so many times that they, my doctors have been so shocked to the point where my um, primary care physician has said, if the day ever comes that you do get a cancer diagnosis, I'm going to send it to another lab to check because somehow I don't understand why, but you you dodge a lot of bullets in, in health issues. And we've also dealt with my husband um, being diagnosed with, um, and this kind of ties to my father as well, that um, after I went through a whole series of medical issues and mm-hmm. they thought I had heart problems and, and cancer and all this stuff. And they ultimately figured out um, I have, this is an interesting fact about me that I have incredibly (laughs) weird blood type compared to the, I've had the least popular blood type in the uh, population. I am AB negative. Mm. Neither my parents are, um, my dad is O negative and my mom is B positive. So biologically Mm. you shouldn't wind up with an AB child. But there's a weird little fluke where an O negative and a B positive in these weird little things, you get this. And Mm -hmm. some people believe that AB negative blood, because when they go back in history, they can tell when all the other blood types were created in in evolution. They cannot scientifically explain where the AB blood type came from, and more specifically, the AB negative blood type. And AB negative blood type, some people believe is what is from, you know, the divine beings that, you know, from another world that came down to help build the pyramids or whatever, that it's supposed to be royal alien blood is, you know, what some people's thing is. But um, uh, mind you, so what they found out when I had all these weird things going on is Mm -hmm. 
I didn't have stomach cancer and, and a heart problem and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, my blood type tends to have chronically, um, uh, poor stomach acid that gets weaker as you get older. And as a child, I knew I had weak stomach acid as I got in tune with my body, but I didn't know that that was a problem. I just knew there were things I couldn't digest really well, or, you know, that I, I learned how to eat to make my stomach happy. And I was more concerned with my shoulder and back injury than my stomach, you know? So, um, you fast forward when, um, I've gone through all this stuff and my husband went for what we thought was a free physical, you know, because he hadn't had one in a while. We already maxed our deductible for the year. And he was diagnosed with a rare genetic defect that he was already four years past your average lifespan. And the way that they most often detect this um, Mm -hmm. defect is in an autopsy when your heart explodes. And the day that he was starting the journey of seeing the specialists and everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, his mind went to, well, if I die, the house is paid off. The kids go to college. My wife's taken care of. And mm-hmm. I went to what specialists do we need to do to see how do we treat this? Yeah. And one night when my children, and my husband were sleeping and I woke up at, you know, the wee hours of the morning and I was just mm-hmm. overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. I went into the living room in complete mm-hmm. darkness and I knew my dad was a pretty early riser and he's back in Chicago and you know, it's a couple hour time difference. I called my dad and I sat in the darkness and cried and prayed with my dad Aww. for hours. And I had to reach oh. that point that even though I didn't want my daughter to die, I didn't want my husband mm-hmm. to die. I wanted to, you know, to get through this life and, and enjoy it, that I had to reach that point of peace with God that even though I was willing to do everything to try to keep my family healthy and hope that God would bring the right medical treatment or the right doctor or the right whatever to it, that if it was God's will that I lose my beloved husband or I lose my precious daughter or I get sick and die, um, if that's his will, I will embrace that even though I don't understand why. And, you know, I have what my father um, named for me when I was quite young mm-hmm. and would ask lots of questions is um, I have what's called my but why list for God. And when I have analyzed things or when I was struggling to figure out why did I get cursed with this horrible injury mm-hmm. in my youth and, and my friends are all, you know, starting to date and, you know, go into the roller rink. Or, question to ask. But when my dad couldn't answer it. Mm-hmm. And our faith in God, it was just, well, that put that on your, but why list for God? And someday you'll either learn the answer or when you, you die, you can pull out your list and sit down with God and say, okay, can you explain and tell me what you were thinking? But as I've gotten far enough in my life, mm-hmm. I realize what a blessing came from that. And so I've gotten some of my, but why's, you know, checked off. And in the um, 40 years, besides dealing with my one-year-old almost dying and my husband almost dying and me almost dying, when my older daughter was almost 20, she almost died. And um, it having all of these things and the financial hardship that comes from that and all of the 
the other stuff of life of losing your job at the most inopportune time. And, and we live in Northern California. So we've got the knock on the door, get the hell out. The fire's coming more than once. Um, and we've dealt with so many horrific things, but at some point in time, when the pandemic comes around, it's like, well, you know, God's gotten us through a lot of stuff. We thought we didn't know how we were going to survive. He's probably got a plan to get us through this too. And if his plan is that we don't get through it and we're dead, well then so be it. That's the plan, you know, that we don't have to worry about stuff we don't know the answer to. And now that my oldest daughter um, has recovered from her thing and she's married and is happy, it's been interesting to see how um, my, my parents who just passed were blessed to see actually four generations of their family. Cause my sister's children had children. Oh. And um, so they, my parents got to see their great grandchildren oh. and um, the oldest granddaughter, the oldest great granddaughter is a college student now. So, and the youngest is um, just starting kindergarten. And so they got to know my parents, you know, when they were still alive and my sister and I, and my dad have been able to have conversations before he passed of how blessed our family is that throughout the generations, we all have a profound love of Jesus Christ as our Lord and savior. And we turn to God to help us through tough things. And as a small child, not understanding the stresses of the world and, and the financial hardships that my parents were enduring and all of that, that um, I was uh, profoundly uh, took note of my father at times when he was really stressed and I didn't know what he was stressed. I could just tell he wasn't, you know, he didn't want to uh, you know, sit down and, and wrestle with me or play, you know, dice with me or whatever, mm-hmm. that he would make a beeline to our bookcase and pull out the single book and read it. And I could watch this physical transformation happen before my eyes. And I, at some point in time was inquisitive of what book is it that's up there on the third <laughs> shelf, you know, over there. Mm-hmm. And it was the Holy Bible. Mm, and I learned uh, even to this day, I still laugh with some of the um, the deep spiritually connected people that I um, I speak with regularly. Of we are still amazed how I can read a passage or they can read a passage that is familiar. We've read it fifteen thousand times, and for whatever reason, on this day, it speaks to you differently, and you hear exactly. something in that exactly. that you never got before. And there's so many um, passages. I have actually um, um, this little thing that's called my 911 cards mm-hmm. that um, I used when I was covering recovering from PTSD. Mm-hmm. That is just you know Bible scriptures and quotes and and things that I need to do. And I have recorded all of these um, so I can listen to them when I'm incapacitated to read. And the one I just randomly turned to right now mm-hmm. is Proverbs um, 18, 16, your gift will make room for you and to bring you before great men. And that inspires me wow. today in the fact that I can see mm-hmm. um, the many gifts God gave me. And the, the problem that I think if I had to psychoanalyze people that are struggling in the world today mm-hmm. is they 
don't fully acknowledge the gifts that God gave them because God's most precious gifts are sometimes not, they don't come to you with pretty bows on top. Mm -hmm. You know, they, you have to be digging in the mud and, and they come in ugly, horrifically wrapped packages sometimes that some people are too afraid to unwrap. And I have just conditioned myself and have trained my children and my husband Mm -hmm. That when great adversity comes to you, you don't run from it. You lean into it and you ask for God's help and guidance. And it's not important that I know how I'm going to survive this or that I know the answer to that problem. I just trust that God knows the answer. And what I have learned, probably the most profound thing that I've learned in in all of my journeys and struggles, because sometimes you are knocked down, you know, face down and you can't function for a bit, or you struggle to, to know which door should you open or which way you should go. What I have learned is although I try to start each day and end each day with a meditation and a, um, a whole spiritual practice Mm -hmm. that at the um, the end of it all, I realized that when I'm faced with a problem and I try to calm myself and um, seek God's guidance in it, if I do not hear God saying, go this direction, do that, because God rarely gives me a checklist of things to do. Sometimes he has, but sometimes, you know, it's like, I'm not quite ready to give you the whole picture yet. And what I have learned is mm-hmm. when I do not hear God directing me to solve a problem. And I've prayed on it and I don't hear anything. Mm -hmm. I look at all my solutions and I pick what is my best guess, trusting fully and acknowledging to God that, okay, I've asked, I don't have a clear direction of what to go. So Mm -hmm. I'm going this way. And I trust either I am headed in the right direction Mm -hmm. or if I am headed in the wrong direction, you will send some angels or give me an insight that will cause me to, uh, to redirect my path and that God works best in my life and helping me when I am moving and trying to do something. When I am just sitting there waiting for, you know, the, the light to shine. Okay. This is the path. Here's all the, the riches and the glory go that way. Right, right. And it's so funny because um, one thing I'll share with you that um, people in the business world don't know about me because I do own the three businesses mm-hmm. is that intellectually some business coaches that I know or well-meaning people have told mm-hmm. me that building three businesses simultaneously is the, surest path to destruction, that you can't divide yourself that much, et cetera, um, and that you need to choose one. And what they don't understand is I do have a single-minded focus. I am focused on what I believe God is directing me to do. And the reason why I am simultaneously building three businesses at the same time is because Mm -hmm. God has in that peaceful moment of reflection for me, told me, this is what I need you to do now. And I don't have all the answers to how I'm going to straighten out some problems or juggle some things or whatever. But every day I try to begin and end my day with, okay, God, these are the things that I think I'm supposed to be doing today. And if 
that's great. Bless me, guide me, help me, um, you know, provide the right people or whatever I need to do to do these things. And if there's something else I need to do, I trust that your plan's better than mine. And, you know, until I know a better plan you're directing me towards, you know, at least this is my game plan and, uh, you know, correct it if, if need be. And it has worked so far when I'm in that zone of connecting with my inner divinity and my, um, my supreme uh, uh, life force that uh, I'm blessed with. I, I do my best work. And the other thing that I've noticed in the numerous wonderful people that have um, been angels in my life at just the right time, helping me saying the right thing is some of the most great, wonderful, dynamic people I've met in my life that they cannot see the, the love that shines from them or the divine spirit that shines from them because a star cannot see its own brightness. You, you can only that see the so star. beautifully put. Oh my gosh. And so what I have learned over time is I cannot see the full magnitude of, of my inner divinity and the only way I can see a glimpse of it is seeing it reflected back from other people that I touch and move in, in their lives. Because um, the, the people who can see the full magnitude, and, and I don't mean that, um, don't confuse it with self-esteem or whatnot, right. but that, that inner divine perfection that is inside all of us, that the only way you can even get a glimpse of it existing is by um, what other people reflect back. And it's kind of like with hearing. And um, uh, I know you had a guest on previously that was talking about her hearing loss, uh, Marcy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I also um, correlate with this is when you hear your own voice, you do not hear what other people are hearing because you are when I speak to you, my voice is traveling from my body through space to your ear and you hear it. Right. When I hear myself speak, I'm not hearing it through it coming out of my mouth and going into my mm -hmm. ears. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing it from inside my own head. And so just like I cannot hear um, what other people see of my, my voice unless I'm listening to a recording of myself. Right. which is why some people get freaked out that their recorded voice doesn't sound right to them because it's not how, you know, they hear themselves is that um, right. what a precious gift God gave each of us that we need other loving uh, God centered people in our life to help mm -hmm. reflect that inner divinity that binds us all together, regardless of our ethnicity, our religion, mm -hmm. our, exactly. our age, our background, our, our poverty or richness level, et cetera. And, you know, one of the, um, the great gifts that show that I so many times um, have leaned on God when there's no other reason is I live in a very wealthy community. And I, at times, you know, since I came from an impoverished, you know, thing where my dad just worked, you know, in the steel mills to support us, right? that I 
um, wasn't sure if I'd be able to raise my daughter successfully here in Northern California, because one of them had a friend who for their 16th birthday, you know, mom and dad bought him a brand new car and it wasn't the car the kid wanted. So before they even got the, the plates from the DMV, yeah. the kid intentionally totaled the car. So their parents went out and bought them what they wanted. Oh my God. My kids, because they have seen us go through medical crises and, and we have all done the trek to the bank to pay our, our home loan to get it current. So our house doesn't go into foreclosure. My -hmm. kids have seen us struggle financially, but still lean on God. And my kids were smart enough to realize, well, first of all, mom and dad's not going to buy me a brand new car for my 16th birthday. And if I ever intentionally total one of mom and dad's cars, they're never going to buy me another one, let alone let me drive one of their cars. But we um, had uh, a lot of very wealthy, you know, uh, people in our community. And one time at Christmas time, I was waiting in the back of a line to get checked out at the Walgreens and they were having problems. Only one cashier and people are getting all upset. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a, a, a young kid, maybe 20 years old, college student, whatever, who was trying to buy a couple things uh, at the cash register and his mm-hmm. debit card wouldn't work. And mm-hmm. people were getting anxious and he's getting embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And, and the cashier says, well, just give me another card. And he's like, I don't have another card. And she's like, give me cash. And he's like, I don't have cash. And he's getting agitated and nervous and uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and guilty and the people in the line are getting, you know, agitated, but hurry up, you know, I want to go through. Mm-hmm. And because even though I was raised in poverty, I remember seeing my parents give money to the Salvation Army kettle drummer, you know, bell ringer that was there or doing kind things for other people with what limited resources we had. And so at that point in time, our house was an active foreclosure and I had no idea how I was going to come up with the money to pull us out of it. And I'm standing there with my daughter in line and I get out of line. I go up there and I don't even know what this guy is trying to buy. I hand my debit card to the cashier and I said, let me pay for it. And the kid was like, Oh, you can't do that. I I don't, I can't pay you back, whatever, you know? And I said, no, I said, it's not my pleasure and honor to do this. And, you know, it was like 30 bucks or something. He got a card and, you know, some candy for his mom or whatever. And I said, you know, um, as I was talking to him and he was very overwhelmed, I said, you know, I don't know if you believe in God or not. If you don't believe in God, I'm just a nice little lady who's, who's helping you out. (laughs) And I said, if you do believe in God, it's, it's my way of helping other people. And that if, if you ever want to repay me someday, sometime Mm -hmm. when you're in a position to pay it forward and help somebody else, help someone else, and then I'll be happy. This is my, my good deed. And I went back and did it. And my, my daughters were surprised on one hand, you know, because other people were looking and I'm sure everybody I passed up in the line had more money in their checking account that day from than I did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that $30 was not going to make the difference whether or not I got my house out of foreclosure or not. But wouldn't you know, three days later, the magic money fell out of the sky and, and we were saved from foreclosure. And I, to this day, I know mm-hmm. that if I had not had that God moment of 
God tapping you on the shoulder. There's somebody in need and you can mm -hmm. help them. Go help them. And don't wait for somebody else who's not helping. Go mm -hmm. help them. But if I had not been willing to do that, I don't think God would have blessed me with just the precise amount of money I needed. My husband and I joke because when we've needed money for something and I've prayed for it and I've done it, that mm -hmm. I've gotten it. And, yeah. and it's always the amount that I need. And we joke sometimes of, well, you know, maybe next time we should ask for more, <laughs> you know, and then we look at each other and it's like, nah, that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, God gives you what you need, not what you want. And, exactly. and I just know that um, even though I don't have all the answers, I don't know if I'm going to die tomorrow or live another hundred years or whatever, mm -hmm. that I just know that I need to live my best, most magnificent life today and cherish mm -hmm. the gifts that I do have and not complain about what I don't have or what, you know, I see other people have in so many ways. I know that the best gift I ever gave my children was a profound sense of love of Jesus Christ as their Lord and savior. And even though the way they practice their faith may be a little bit different than my father did or the way that I do. Right. Um, you know, my one daughter, um, she at one point in time, when um, it came to where she would be joining the Presbyterian church, mm -hmm. she went through some of the classes and she didn't want to join because she thought that she, she was not as um, uh, she didn't understand the Bible as much as she thought she did she mm -hmm. needed to do. She didn't, she didn't look like the other older Christians at our church. And when she realized that um, I'm happy, she connects with God when she goes into nature or when she writes a new song or plays music or, or does something. Like that. Yes. yes. And that, you know, that you don't have to connect with God in a specific religious act. You know, you don't have to be Catholic or Presbyterian or, mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever religion it is that um, you can still find God wherever two or three are gathered in his name. Exactly. You know, that you're in a church, you know, and that they've come to learn that God is not just in a building that you go and, um, you know, pray on Sundays and you screw over the rest of the world the other six days a week that it's in your heart every day. And I learned that, you know, if I never walk into another church again, mm -hmm. um, God lives and dwells in my heart and in my home. Exactly. And the world has gotten so much to where so many religions have done more to pull people away from God than to bring him, you know, into the light. And I'm just at that point where I'm, I'm thankful that I know God. I'm thankful that my, my children know God. And I'm just so incredibly thankful that for whatever reason and however it happened that I was able to embrace my father's faith and pass that on to my children and that they have that going forward with whatever life throws at them or hurdles that they have to overcome in their lifetime, that they have a strong and uh, unshakable faith that will pull them through because that's a critical aspect to living a life that we are blessed to have. 
Thank you, Christine. Your story is incredibly inspiring. You are an amazing woman. Your optimism, your faith, your trust in yourself, your trust in God and his will through a lifetime of one tragedy after another gives us all hope. You are living proof that when you connect with your sacred self in the deepest depths of your spirit and anchor your life in your higher power, all things are possible. Now, tell us briefly about your three businesses. Great. Well, I have three businesses that um, fall under my empire of companies. I have My Mother's Secrets, which is a culinary company, and I'm about ready to release a cookbook that will be available uh, in the next month or so, I anticipate. And Do you have a title for the book? Yes, it's actually called My Mother's Secrets, and I share recipes on mymotherssecrets.com, but um, uh, it has a combination of recipes that in our, the the heart of the cookbook is to um, help encourage people who are not comfortable in the kitchen, find the power and strength that lies in the heart of the home. You know, there's a reason why our ancestors referred to the kitchen as the heart of the home. And that's been lost in today's society. So hopefully it will help people uh, become comfortable cooking something they love for someone they love. Um, I also have um, a company called My Affordable Bookkeeper. And that is um, providing quality bookkeeping services to small businesses or nonprofits. Uh, Any business that is... um, just starting out is still not too small of a client for us. We would much rather get you started with a good chart of accounts and on the right path. We have services that go down as low as $199 for an entire year's worth of bookkeeping services and your tax preparation. So it's quite affordable. And as your business grows, uh, we offer the whole suite of services between uh, payroll and uh, employee benefits management and social media, uh, you know, management, uh, developing websites, et cetera. We offer a whole suite of products for growing businesses. And then the third business, um, which I'm very passionate about as well, is My Magnificence Magnified. And it is a 360 degree resource of all of the things that people need to help improve their lives so they can live the most magnificent life possible, uh, whether that is improving mental health issues or self-development, fitness, um, faith, spirituality, uh, Mm. creativity, all sorts of different things. And I have a wealth of people that I am uh, connecting with that will be able to right. offer, you know, coaching and helping different mm-hmm. things. And, and also a, one of the um, other uses of this site is a lot of the trauma victims that I've worked with over time mm-hmm. have sometimes found, even when they're in support groups or they're um, in places that should be safe for them to share their trauma They've been told, oh, we don't want you to share your trauma because that's a little bit too intense, you know, and that they want it scaled down and sugarcoated. And this is going to be a um, an avenue that's not quite up operational yet, but it's a growing um, website. But we will be able to in 
an anonymous form be able to allow people to authentically share their stories, some of them for the first time that they haven't even had the courage to share with their families. They'll be able to share that and find comfort and support that no matter what trauma you've endured, there's somebody else in this world who's endured something similar that uh, there's value in just knowing that you're not the only one who has, you know, buried a child or have, you know, endured um, childhood rape or whatever it is that there's Mm -hmm. guaranteed somebody else out there who is suffering with the exact same flavor that you're enduring and there's power in connecting those people together. And so the best way people can contact me is through mymagnificencemagnified.com or you can find me on social media. Um, I'm on, you know, Instagram and Twitter and all of that. But if you start with the mymagnificencemagnified.com, you can uh, connect with me and I can direct you to any of those you know, other companies. If you're okay, interested. great. And we'll, I'll put the uh, link in the show notes. I just love the name. Beautiful name. Well, thank you. It's uh, we, I really do believe that we all have magnificence within ourselves and that we need to magnify that and become our truest, best, purest self. And life is a journey and it's mm-hmm. not, uh, it's not always about the, um, the, the job that you're trying to attain, it amazes me how many people put off happiness that, you know, after I graduate from college, then I'll, you know, be happy and I'll right, you know, have my right. life or, you know, after I find the perfect husband or I have three mm-hmm. children or I divorce my current husband or whatever it is <laughs> that I'll be happy then, right. or I'll start taking care of myself then. And we really, there's mm-hmm. no guarantee that any of us have tomorrow. The only guarantee we have is right now where we are. And we need to honor our past and learn from it, but not allow our pain of our past to Mm -hmm. negatively direct um, a flawed future. We each day you wake up and it's a brand new day with a brand new promise from God to, uh, live your best life and to just look around and smell the roses and see that uh, in spite of all the hardships and uncertainties and pain that's in the world, there is still an awful lot of goodness and it becomes a choice. You cannot control how um, Mm -hmm. certain pain or certain circumstances fall at your door. You can't control other people, but you can Mm -hmm. control how you choose to react to those things. Exactly. Once you and find that magnified power and you touch to your own magnificence, you can never go back. And there's a, a quote that, you know, when, uh, when I know better, I do better. And yeah. yes, that is, is so important because it's, you can't beat yourself up for the knowledge you have today that you would have made a different decision in your past because you can't take today's brain and put it in the past. And, I found peace in accepting that um, even in my worst, most severe screw ups, and I could give you a whole laundry list of all the things I've screwed up in my life and mistakes I've made and, and bumbles I've done. We all have. But through it all, in the moment that I was making the decision, mm-hmm. I thought I was making the best decision, giving my, my time, my energy, my resources, the situation, my of knowledge, et cetera. Yes. 
Definitely. So all you can do is help to, you know, learn from that. And, you know, I have a motto that I try not to make the same mistake twice. So, um, you know, I, I consider, you know, Mm -hmm. that a win. And the last piece of advice that I will give, um, Mm -hmm. uh, people, uh, to go off on is, uh, a lot of people ask me how I've been successfully married for 40 years and happy despite all the trauma that we've endured as a couple, um, you know, part of it is from day one is that we invited God into our marriage, that there Mm -hmm. were three of us, my, my husband, myself, and God. And in those times when we would, you know, have your disagreements or, you know, two people, no matter how much in love they are and how wonderful they are, uh, are never going to agree a hundred percent of the time. And it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows, but every serious disagreement that my husband had, uh, and I had early on, um, every argument, no matter what it was started with the same phrase, I love you more than this bothers me. And I'm committed to finding a solution that honors us both. And we committed to finding win-win solutions for every problem to where, uh, if we were ever stuck at an impasse, we both dug our heels in and decided we would not take a step back from each other and we would stay firmly planted where we were until we reached a, a decision that would help us take a step closer together instead of a step closer apart. And it is the things that um, allowed us to withstand all the trauma that we've endured in the 40 years we've been together is because Christine, that's beautiful. I'd say that could be another book. Well, you know, that is the, <laughs> the next book online. There's a few books, uh, other books coming out, but the first one's the cookbook, but that's um, one with uh, some marriage tips and secrets, uh, you know, choosing wisely, treating kindly is a huge thing, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's uh it's nice. I joke now that, you know, I, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to get rid of my husband because I wouldn't want to retrain somebody after 40 years. You'd think I'd be smart <laughs> enough to know with my, my back injuries and, and whatnot, that if my feet get cold, they cramp up and then I can't sleep. And we have dual electric blankets because I like it hot. He likes it cold. Right. And bless his heart. He remembers every night about a half hour or so before we go to bed mm-hmm. to preheat my blanket. Can I remember that? No, (laughs) but, but he does. And, um, you know, so it's, you learn how to, you know, do those things for, for each other. And if you've got to crawl through the mud and the the gunk of underneath the barbed wire of life, it's nice to have somebody who loves you and can make you laugh and will pull you when you can't move and will be willing to be pulled when they can't move. And it's uh, definitely a team effort. So, um, you know, I wish all of your listeners out there a very happy life to live the most magnificent life that God has really prepared for them. And all we have to do is ask God for the magnificent life that that he created us for. He did not create, create us for hardship and misery and pain. It's, you know, the uh, thing that I also cling closely with um, God is that God did not promise that we would not have any pain or hardship and life would be wonderful, but he did promise that he would get us through everything. And that comforts me in those times when I, I don't know how I'm going to get through the next 15 minutes of my life that I know that God, if he brings me to it, he'll bring me through it. 
You know what? That reminds me. Uh, let me find the scripture here. It's in my morning love um, meditations. Here we go. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Thank you, Christine. Your story is incredibly inspiring. You are an amazing woman. Your optimism, your faith, your trust in yourself, your trust in God and his will throughout a lifetime of one tragedy after another gives us all hope. You are living proof that when you access your sacred self inside the deepest depths of your spirit and anchor your life in God or whoever your higher power is, all things are possible. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So as always, I'll just end by saying, please take a moment today to remember how God has lifted you up over the years and consider deepening your relationship with him. And remember to take care of God's precious gift, you. Thank you for listening to the God is Love and So Are You podcast. Join me next Monday for more about God's passionate love for you. Subscribe now and find out more about Christine Kish's cookbook at instagram.com slash mymotherssecrets. And... My Magnificence Magnified, one of her three businesses at MyMagnificenceMagnified.com.
Look for her links in the show notes.